You know, sometimes there are weeks in our country um, that I think we're more fearful than usual. Maybe we're more angry than usual, more, maybe more confrontational than usual. Um, and I think what scares me the most is there are weeks in our histories, in our, in our nation's history, that can actually cause our love to grow cold more than usual. Um, I have been on the verge of tears for the most part since Thursday through Saturday. I've been reading articles. I've been watching videos. It has not been an easy week. As a pastor who's, who's trying to wrestle with what, what, what is being seen and what's, what's going on and hearing heartbreak and pain and suffering and injustice and racism and prejudice on our front door in a country that claims to be so progressive, we're still struggling with things that have been going on for thousands of years. And I think part of it is being able to see, not just read about or hear about, but see things because of social media and cell phones and, and all the different routes of communication. We are replaying images of violence and injustice over and over and over in our heads, and it causes this hurt, and we don't know what to do with it. We get mad. We get angry. We want to start pointing fingers. We want to start saying, if people would just see things my way, then things would change. We're fearful and we're confused. I've read articles with titles like, America is coming unhinged. Injustice is tearing our nation apart. And none of these titles would indicate that things look brighter or hopeful. These phrases only stir in us more anger, fear, confusion, and defensiveness, or, which I think could be the greater tragedy here, or they cause us to do nothing. And to be quite honest, if you've stopped caring for a long time, images like this that you've seen in the last week will stir you to do nothing. And I want to warn you, friends, that apathy is just as deadly as hate. The fruit from apathy may take a lot longer to grow, and so your generation may not see the results. But I kid you not, it is just as deadly as acts of hate. And so this week, I've had notepads full of just chicken scratch, thoughts, writing things down. I've seen conflicting story after conflicting story. I've seen media make statements. I've seen media retract statements. I've seen people's arguments from one side and the other. I've heard all sorts of phrases. I've seen all sorts of images. And the only thing that I know, the only thing that I know is that there are eight families for sure. that are suffering loss this week. Probably many, many more. Asheville finds herself in the center of one of those. Minnesota, Baton Rouge, Dallas. Because I know that, you and I can take a break from business as usual to mourn and to weep with those who have lost. To do that together as the church 
In the scriptures, when a writer is lamenting, he's actually crying out to God to step in because the present situation is too much for us to bear. It's too much for us to handle. And if God doesn't step in and move, we're finished. Everything is done. Lamenting is dark. Lamenting is pain-ridden because it presents the current situation. But there is this quiet, underlying confidence in a God who is able. We may be asking, where is he in these moments? We may be asking, why is he letting injustice? Why do the wicked prosper? But at the end of the day, we say, God, we trust you. That's what lamenting and mourning is. And in fact, mourning is one of the things that Jesus says that if we do it, we will be blessed and comforted. I believe part of America's problem is we want to rush past mourning so we don't actually get to experience the comfort of God so we don't know how to comfort other people. If America knew how to mourn, as Jesus said, we would actually get to experience God's comfort. When we scoot past and we cover up and we ignore or grow hard-hearted or indifferent to the things and the tragedies and the sin present in the world, we actually miss out on the presence of God in our lives as He comforts us as we mourn over what we see and what we know we're capable of. And so together, we're going to take some time to mourn and to pray together as a church. And so... It won't, it won't be too long, and, I, and you know what? Maybe it'll be awkward for you, and that's okay. But if you can, just in your row or right where you're at, you can just turn and shake the hand of someone and say, hey, my name is so-and-so, and I'll be praying with you this morning. Do that right now. Like right now. All right. Now here's how we're going to pray. If you are not a fan of praying out loud, you do not have to. Um, but you can agree with those that do pray out loud. And if you do pray out loud, don't pray forever. Give other people an opportunity to pray. But this morning, our prayer time, our guiding is going to be through what would be more of a lamenting psalm. In Psalm chapter 90, starting verse 1 and 2. Lord, through all the generations, you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. Now, this doesn't sound very lamenting, but where things must begin is us praying and declaring what is true. In a world that loves deception and deceiving and lies and rumors, as Christ followers, we have been declaring through song what is true. We have been going to these tables and taking this bread and this juice, declaring what is true. And in our prayers, as we begin this journey, we will declare what is true. So take time in your group to just say thank you that God is God. Say thank you that he is who he is and praise him that he is God. I don't mean to interrupt your prayers, but we'll continue journeying through Psalm together, and don't let the prayer stop. Psalm 90, verses 3 through 12, continuing in lamenting, 
You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. For you, a thousand years are a passing day, as brief as a few night hours. You sweep people away like dreams that disappear. They are like grass and springs that springs up in the morning. In the morning it blooms and flourishes, but by evening it is dry and withered. We wither beneath your anger. We are overwhelmed by your fury. You spread out our sins before you, our secret sins, and you see them all. We live our lives beneath your wrath, ending our years with a groan. Seventy years are given to us. Some even live to eighty. But even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. Who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is awesome as the fear you deserve. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. This week has pointed to our mortality. Our hunger and our our desire for justice points to God being the final judge, that he will deal with all sin. The pain and hurt that we experience in this life, the dust that we end in, and that we cannot rush by, that life is short. Together we will pray. We don't have all the details to all the stories we have been watching unfold before us. But what we do know is that there are at least eight men this week that will not be going home. Their lives were cut short and are a tragedy. Regardless of guilt or innocence, the Lord weeps over the death of those who die. In Ezekiel chapter 18, he makes clear, Do you think that I like to see wicked people die, says the Sovereign Lord? Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. We're going to take some time to pray for the families of the names that you will see on this screen. There are also seven police officers and two civilians injured. These are the names of people who, because they were made in the image of God and had value, worth, dignity, and purpose, and good or bad decisions aside, what we know is that their families will grieve, and so will we. Take some time in your groups to pray for Dallas. Take some time to pray for cities affected by violence and injustice. Pray for the police officers who serve us. Pray for justice to be served Pray for the truth to be uncovered and deception to be defeated. Take some time to pray now. The practice of reading confessional prayers out loud together does not stress uniformity but unity, and they are different. And so together we're going to read what we see on the screen out loud and just make them confessions and prayers that we can be united in together. And it's good to spend time doing that. And so you can read along as we, as we pray these prayers. Lord, come close to those who think you are far. Come close to those who are hurt, confused, and scared to think about how they are going to live without those they have lost. Guard the hearts and minds of those who will be tempted to repay evil with evil. Protect those who protect us. Bring those to justice who seek to destroy. Reveal the truth in a world that loves rumors and lies. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. 
Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born again to eternal life. As we conclude our time of prayer, we finish with the psalmist's prayer, a declaration of need. Starting in verse 13, it says, O Lord, come back to us. How long will you delay? Take pity on your servants. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love so we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. Give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. Replace the evil years with good. Let us, your servants, see you work again. Let our children see your glory, and may the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. Take some time to pray that the Lord would have his way in us and in our country. Pray for those who are the victims of racism in America. Pray that the Lord would open the eyes of those who see one race as superior over another. Pray that Christ would help us make his words known to the masses. And pray for workers. Jesus asked us to. He said that the harvest is there. It's ripe. Pray that the Lord would send workers. And that might mean you. We will close our our time together praying. and, And I want to encourage you to not let this end. Um, but that you'll continue to do these things and it'll become a part of you what you do, who you are we'll close with this confession prayer together and once again you'll see it on the screen I have no merit let the merit of Jesus stand for me I am undeserving but I look to your tender mercy I am full of infirmities wants, sin you are full of grace I confess my sin, my frequent sin, my willful sin. All my powers of body and soul are defiled. A fountain of pollution is deep within my nature. There are chambers of foul images within my being. I have gone from one gross room to another, walked in a no man's land of dangerous imaginations and pried into the secrets of my fallen nature. I am utterly ashamed that I am what I am in myself. I have no green shoot in me for fruit but thorns and thistles. I am a fading leaf that the wind drives away. I live bare and barren as a winter tree. Lord, but you would have mercy on me. You have struck a heavy blow to my pride at the false god of self, and I lie in pieces before you. But you have given me another master and Lord, your son, Jesus. Now my heart is turned toward holiness. My life speeds as an arrow from a from bow towards complete obedience to thee. Help me in all my doings to put down sin and to humble pride. Save me from the love of the world and the pride of life, from everything that is natural to fallen man And let Christ's nature be seen in me day by day. 
Grant me grace to bear thy will without collapse and delight to be not only chiseled, squared, or fashioned, but separated from the old rock where I have been embedded so long and lifted from the quarry to the upper air where I may be built in Christ forever. Amen. For the church to truly, truly be light in the ugly darkness of racism and prejudice, I feel like we always find ourselves as the church reeling and trying to figure out how do we respond. Though I believe that is a very good question, and I do think for times we do need to ask that question, but maybe a better question for the church to begin asking is how are we proactive in these moments? How do we come before the tragedy, the disasters, the violence, and prepare ourselves to be proactive in this conversation in the face of ugly prejudices and racism that are still alive and active today. Sadly, we do live in a time where I heard one person's mother say that her son was black and in the wrong place. Sadly, we still live in a society that is very quick to judge by the color of someone's skin and not the content of their heart. Sadly, we live in a place, in a state, where minority groups remain invisible, and because it may or, not, may or may not be our problem, it's out of sight, out of mind. Sadly, we live among a people who have been sworn to protect us, that now have targets on their backs. I do not believe this will be an issue that God is going to let be a back-burning issue. I believe he continues to bring it to the forefront because there is something that is broken. And though helpful, I do not know if hashtags, posting on Facebook, attending a peaceful protest, though these things can and can be used for good, I don't know if top-down is how the transformation we long for is actually going to happen. See, when we put it on others to bring the change we want to see, we actually do something very tragic, and that is we remove ourselves from the equation. And here's the kicker to it all. God wants you and I in the equation. He does not want us to ask for others to bring transformation. He has actually invited his bride to be the agent of transformation. Individual levels. Now, I know that doesn't make a lot of noise because that means it's just me and my conversations daily. But if we want a generation to see a change, that's how it happens. Grassroots. My neighborhood, my family, my roommates, my children, my conversations work. These are how the kingdom grows. If you had asked the disciples 2,000 years ago if their efforts would have been worth anything, what do you think they would have said? Well, we need to appeal to the top so that the top will bring the change that we hope to see. And yet here we are still talking about the very things they gave their lives for. I didn't realize how much I would have a voice in this, this equation when I was in high school. And I, to, to embarrass myself or to give you a frame of reference with my story, uh, this is a picture of me in high school. And I won't be up there long. Um, 
But from middle school on, I was asked very gently by a lot of middle school students, what are you? I didn't really take offense to it because I knew what they were saying. Where are you from? Can you please take that picture down? (laughs) Thanks. Um, I was asked that question a lot in middle school. And uh, just so we're clear, uh, my mom is Japanese. My dad's a big white guy. That's that's how this all works out. But in middle school, um, I would be asked questions like, where are you from? Are you Japan? And I would answer sarcastically, yes, I'm the entire nation of Japan. Right here, you're looking at it. But this is how people engage you. And in high school, six days before my graduation, my guidance counselor, who was also black, asked me as a student athlete if me and my father would like to be in the 100 Black Men of Atlanta March. I didn't have the heart to tell her I wasn't black because for four years she thought I was. I just said I was busy and it'd be awkward if me and my dad showed up. But because of the presumption, I experienced things in life that some may or may not have. My wife, when she first met me, thought I was black. In Asheville, I have been pulled over for an expired tag and on the race section, the officer wrote, black. I don't understand it, but because of the perception, there have been things that I have experienced in life that is just a part of my story. When Doreen and I were traveling through a state that will remain unnamed, I had an encounter with officers that had me leaving knowing something was wrong with what just happened. I left leaving with my heart racing at this can't be how things work. That wasn't right. And it frightened me and it scared me. And here's the thing. I have not experienced half, three quarters of what many of my black friends have experienced. And I recognized that there was something wrong. And there is something wrong. And I hope that as a church, we can at least admit those things. Because when we see it, are we apathetic towards it? Are we indifferent towards it? Are we out of sight, out of mind towards it? This is why I believe that my journey, my experience has allowed me to see and, and, and know and be a part of stories that are different. I've been claimed by Native Americans. I've been claimed by um, uh, Filipino people. I've been claimed by Hawaiian people. I've been claimed by Cherokee people. It's all over the, the map. People trying to claim me as their own. And that's okay. And it's one of my favorite things about the way God made me. It's one of my favorite things about the pigment of my skin. Here's the deal. I have seen memes going around the internet that suggest we're all different shades on the outside, but our souls are the same color. I don't believe that. I believe that the announcement that God makes in Revelation is that every tribe, tongue, and nation will gather around his throne. Red, yellow, black, and white. It's not going to change when we're in his sight. I want you to know that that declaration is made because he made us with this pigment in our skin. The tent that we are wrapped in is good. That's what he said. 
The way that he created you and I, red, yellow, black, white, brown, it doesn't matter. He has said it is good. And I know some of the ways the world wants to respond to the conversation of race is that, oh, I'm colorblind. I don't see color. Baloney. Yes, I understand if you're saying you don't want to judge a book by its cover. I get that. But to deny that someone is different... To deny that someone has been made beautiful in the eyes of God just the way they are by saying, I don't see color, is to remove the dignity that God put on them on purpose. He made them in his image with the pigment that colors their skin. And it is a gift. So to say that I'm colorblind and that I don't see color is actually to make someone less human than the way God made us to be. Today is not the conversation. We can't have the conversation here and right now and in this place. We can create forums and places and safe spaces for people to come and express those conversations and needs and and questions. But this morning is more so an admittance that we the church can and will be in the conversation. According acknowledging that something is broken and that we have prejudices and struggles, but that the Lord is able to bring clarity and hope. The gospel is not for the faint of heart. If Jesus brings life, do you know where he has to go to do that? Where there is death. If Jesus brings light, do you know where he has to go to do that? Where there is darkness. If Jesus brings healing, do you know where he has to go to do that? Where there is sickness. You see, indifference and apathy is not an option for salt and light. To just let things go because it might be difficult is not an option for salt and light. I am thankful that God has given us his word I am thankful that he has revealed himself. I'm thankful that he's revealed a way to live. I'm thankful that he has shown us that it's not okay to murder, that we are to love our enemies, that we are to love our neighbors, that we are to do good to everyone. It does not put in parentheses except those you disagree with on Facebook. It says you are to do good to everyone. He told us to treat others the way we want to be treated. And he told us to be peacemakers. You know what that means? Where there isn't peace, you work towards it. These are not suggestions. It's not thinking idealistically, but they are commands found in Scripture for the people who claim to be his. Thankfully, God has let us know that every human has been made in his image. Thankfully, Revelation gives us this picture of of heaven that is colorful. Every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered around God declaring his goodness. And for these reasons, we must not be okay with the sin of racism or violence toward those who disagree with or prejudices. God will not allow his bride to be a single color. 
To my friends who find themselves in the minority in this nation, you are not a minority in the kingdom. You may have experienced being second-class Christians in the United States, maybe because of the pigment in your skin, but you are not a minority in the kingdom of God. I'm sorry for the struggle that you've had to walk and experience often at the silence of others. And practically, because I know this can't be the conversation, I wanted to give us three things that maybe we can be intentional about. I know there is a desire in us to do something. We're stirred. We're, what do we do? How do we respond? But what if these became things that were daily in our lives? The first being, are we giving God access to our blind spots? Or are we content as we are? Psalm 139 is probably the most dangerous prayer in Scripture. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. What if this was our daily prayer? What if the church was willing to let God to point out our blind spots? There are blind spots because we can't see them. Are we afraid of what we might find out? Is that why we wouldn't pray this prayer? Might be. But what if God is pointing us to another way of living? Learn to let God reveal any thought that might not be pleasing to him, and that includes prejudices that may be hidden deep down in our hearts because of the narrative we grew up with. Secondly, engage those around you. This is not a call for you to go out and find a black friend. This is not a call for you to go out and scoot up next to an Asian friend and be like, hey, I need some color in my life. This is not a call for that. Because authenticity matters here. And the circle and the sphere that you walk in, it matters the conversations that you have. Have you asked anyone in your sphere about what's gone on in this country in the last week? Have you said, man, how are you... How are you dealing with what we've seen? What are your thoughts? What are your struggles? What are your fears? Have you asked people of color and gone, do you, do you feel afraid? Do you feel feared, fearful for your life? Because you might be surprised at their answer and that they might say yes. And for you to be able to go, man, I want to stand alongside you and pray for you. I don't know how to, but I want to be available. It's about engaging where you are. It's about asking the tougher questions. It's about asking for insight. It literally is walking a mile in someone else's shoes. Because perspective, to gain it, to grow in it, to ask for it. This may not be comfortable for you either, but here's the thing. We have to be open to the thought of being uncomfortable because it's better than being apathetic or indifferent. Being uncomfortable is much greater and of much more gain to us than being indifferent or apathetic. And thirdly, and finally, pray more gospel-centered prayers in your community and neighborhood. Care about how Jesus sees people. Like, make that a priority. And it's strange that we even have to have that conversation, but we do. Make it a priority in your life to say, Jesus, please let me see people the way you see people and help me put down the lens I'm looking through. This is who we are as Christ followers. 
Help me set down the lens that I call my way of life. Jesus, help me see the way you do. And as your heart is turned, so will your words and your actions be turned. What is the gospel display? And the band can come. Creation and the cross display the value of every human being. Not one over the other, but infinite value and worth because God formed each of us with his hand. He made no mistakes and he called us good the way we were made. Each of us, though imperfectly, has the opportunity to reflect this God who made us in his image. Now we know because of sin, you and I rejected God's invitation to reflect him because we want to be the star of the show. But see, the gospel doesn't end with creation. The gospel points to the cross as well. Instead of God going, because you rejected my invite to reflect me, I'm done with you. That's what the world would say. If you don't want to do it my way, then get out. But God came close. And the cross is another indicator of the value of human beings. Every color, every person, that it walks on this planet. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus' death on the cross tore down the wall of hostility between us and a holy God. And by faith, we enter into this new unbroken relationship and because as a result of what jesus has done that wall being torn down paul emphasizes it in galatians that the walls that we naturally build up between each other are also shattered because we have been reconciled to god we have also been reconciled to our family the walls that we tend to build up, whether they're, they're color-based or social-based or monetarily-based or, or whatever, religiously-based or whatever it is, liberal or Democrat-based or conservative Republican-based, it's all of those walls come down and no longer are allowed to divide us. And the gospel continues to point out the walls we have built. Because we have been reconciled to God through Christ, we are working as agents of reconciliation as well. This is the invitation for salt and light. Now, for those of you, there are some of you in this room that are making your statement of faith through baptism today, and I see no better picture of what God has done than through this baptism picture. So for those of you that have said you wanted to be baptized, you may go and get ready at this time. But baptism is a beautiful picture of another way, a hope of resurrection that, that, that in a world that points to pain and death and destruction, baptism shows us the opportunity of new life that is found in Christ. We celebrate with those today who said that Jesus is enough. Not only are they expressing faith in Christ today, but they are expressing unity in a fragmented world. Where the world is a picture of division, the church is a picture of unity. All colors, male and female, young and old. It is a beautiful picture that God intended in the garden, and when he decides that time is wrapped up, it will be there again.
as he is king, every tribe, tongue, and nation represented around his throne, declaring that God is good. So this morning, if you also find yourself ready to express your faith in Christ, if you find your heart saying, Jesus is enough, this moment, then I want to invite you to be baptized today too. It's here. We got a change of clothes sitting over there. We got extra towels for you. You know what? If you just want to be baptized in what you came wearing, that's fine. Nothing better than walking out that door soaking wet, pointing to new life. This is the hope of Christ. It changes everything. Everything is made new because of what Jesus has done. My past may be shady, my, my, my past may be difficult, my past may mean point to I have everything together, but in this moment where worlds collide, Jesus stands up big and tall as enough. He is where our faith is placed, and because the work he has accomplished on the cross, we can actually be those agents of peacemaking and reconciliation in a world that's trying to figure out how to do it. They recognize that there's a problem, but it is the heart that Jesus goes to and makes new first. And so goes our family, our neighborhood, our city, our state, nation, world. You following me? This is the power of the gospel alive in us. And so I'm not kidding. This morning, if you say, I'm, I've never been baptized, I've never taken that step of faith. We want to invite you to it, even if you didn't sign up. Baptism is beautiful, and it is a time to celebrate as the family. Father, I ask that in these moments that you'd show us how to live, show us how to love. You'd show us how to be agents of reconciliation because we have been reconciled to you. You'd show us how to be peacemakers as your sons, your sons and daughters, your children our peacemakers wherever we go. We pray that we would carry that, not on our own, but knowing that Christ dwells in us and goes with us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.